everybody. Welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the Virgin. And we're your hosts. Morning, Clayton. Morning. Um, It's been big changes for both of us. Yeah. These past few weeks. So I just want to be completely upfront. I moved this week and had Thanksgiving. And so I normally I like to do like show notes for the show. I think they might be more for me than for Clayton to sort of like keep everything organized. And I just did it for this episode. And I feel a little bit guilty, but I feel like there's so much to say about uh, Hyacinth and Gareth that it'll it'll be okay. But I always like to just be upfront. So if I feel a little bit at, uh, if I sound like I'm a little bit at odds and ends. That's why. This week we're reading Julia Quinn's It's In His Kiss. It is the seventh book of the Bridgerton series. It is Hyacinth's book. All right, Clayton. So what was this book about? No, we got to judge a cover. See, you're Uh, already. (laughs) Maybe we need those show notes. I know. I think I need the show notes. You're good. You know, just by you just you have a sixth sense of like you're you know where we're supposed to be. Okay. All right, Clayton, let's judge these covers. Okay, so the first one, 2005, is just big Julia Quinn, big it's in his kiss, in front of a tiny building that's at the bottom of the page, and the whole rest of it is fuchsia. It's weird. It, it's like the image isn't even like pulled up to the top, like I feel in the ba- in other books. Um, yeah, I mean, this is not like a great cover, I would say, overall. A bit boring. And then the later cover, the 2017 version, is Julie Quinn, again, very big, at the top. At the bottom, it's in his kiss. And then there is a jewelry box on a side table that is white. And then the rest of it is all bluish or purplish, would you say? I'm Blue. colorblind. Well, there's so. a hyacinth on the vanity. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> and then there's a diamond necklace coming out of the jewelry box. So I feel like this is the most pertinent. Um, yeah, of all, of the, all ones the books that we've seen. Because I feel like right. Because like Benedict, there was a shoe, and it was a Cinderella retelling. So there you go. That makes sense. But I feel and and I guess Eloise was a writing desk. And then, yeah, this is the diamond necklace and a hyacinth. So it's I I mean, I, I like this cover a lot better. I think it's like just more dynamic. Julia Quinn and It's in His Kiss is in a pretty yellow. And then everything else is that is like a periwinkle hyacinth blue. Yeah, um, periwinkle. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> All right, Clayton. So what was the book about? So this book is about Gareth, who is the not illegitimate son, right? Because he was born in wedlock, but mm-hmm. his father is not his his real father. The, the person he thought was his father is not really his father. Mm-hmm. And the book starts, Gareth's at Cambridge, his father gets him back to tell him he needs to marry somebody because they're going broke and he cannot afford to send him to school anymore. So he doesn't want to get married because he's still young at that point. And also the person that his dad wants him to marry is not, she has the mind of a child, I guess, is what, how they refer to it. 
So she's mm-hmm. she obviously has some sort of developmental situation, and Gareth's friends with her, but does not think that it would be right to marry her. His dad says, you do this, or you're out, you're cut off. Gareth says, I'm not doing it, so he's cut off. Then a couple years later, he meets Hyacinth, who is, of course, a Bridgerton, and she is the youngest Bridgerton. And they they bond over the fact that Lady Danbury is is Gareth's grandma, and he'll go to visit her, and Hyacinth likes to, every Tuesday, read to Lady Danbury. So they bond over several functions that Lady Danbury drags them to. (laughs) So Gareth's brother, George, dies, and George's wife brings Gareth a journal that was his other grandmother's who was it is in italian he doesn't read italian hyacinth is like oh i could probably translate it so she starts translating this which leads to a sort of fancy hunt or as we would call a scavenger hunt a little bit and (laughs) to find these jewels that will help them be able to be financially independent and they fall in love and that's kind of it Right, other than he's he he finds out who his real dad is. Yeah, I think we've talked with a lot of these books that aren't super plot heavy. Um, but this one seemed to have like the least obstacles to them falling in love. Like it is just a story of two people meeting and then falling in love. And the big issues kind of are uh that Gareth has like daddy issues and so he is kind of maybe asking Hyacinth to marry him to piss off his father. But because we are in his point of view, we know that's not true, that he does really love her when he asks her. Um, there is an element and- of it, though. There definitely is an element because his dad says, w- by the way, Hall of Fame bad dad, <laughs> but but not in the physical way. So this is a bad dad who it, it he he doesn't seem to be very physically abusive but he is definitely mentally and verbally abusive to gareth in an almost comical way oh yes yes i I mean not comical in the sense that it's funny that he is abusive to his son but over the top i would say right he hates him to such a degree and because he claimed him when he was born like you can't unclaim a kid i guess so gareth is going to inherit yeah, no matter um, what. And and they'll have a back and forth where Gareth will show up at the house that he is going to be his eventually. And he'll say to his dad, I just want to make sure you didn't burn it down. And his dad <laughs> will say, well, you know, there's still time. <laughs> That's funny. I don't like it. Um, yeah, so it's. So it's it's a funny book in that way, but it's still very enjoyable because you Hyacinth this whole time in all of the other books has been so outspoken and has been such a brat and has been so such a strong character always that then when she gets her book, it's fantastic. And just like her as a person, I think her character traits are so fun and interesting and fresh and I love that she just, like, wants to know everything. Um, And I think normally that's painted as being, like, a gossip or nosy or something. And, like, she certainly is. But I just like that when she's in a room, she just wants to look around the room because she just wants to see, well, is anything happening that I want to be a part of? Yeah. Um, 
And I love that for her. And I think Julia does a great job of thinking of her characters and then deciding, okay, well, who would be this person's best match or sort of opposite? Who would then sort of be the the best person for them? And I think for Gareth, it needed to be somebody like Hyacinth. Yeah, I will say I really enjoyed Hyacinth as as the heroine of this book because – you said she's very inquisitive. She, I would say of of any of the, and I know this is going to be on, someone's going to throw this on the quiet, unusual girl gets the guy list, which she's not quiet <laughs> by any means. But I would say she is unusual. Mm-hmm. She's the first one of the, the Bridgertons that I would say is legitimately unusual. Because she does have such a, such a way of, purporting herself in a way of wanting to be the best. The, there's a great scene where Gareth and Hyacinth are dancing and she keeps trying to lead, but she's also a very bad dancer and he's <laughs> getting a kick out of it because he, in his mind he's thinking, man, if she knew how bad of a dancer she is, she'd be so frustrated by this. So he has to bite his tongue and kind of, shift her to where she needs to be and i just love that i love that scene because he's he's respecting her in a way but also helping her out yeah well also she's like dancing to try to get him to not look at his father because they're at a ball and his father has shown up but she she doesn't know why but she knows that they don't get along yes uh but i will say though having said that gareth did almost nothing for me yeah. I it works. I enjoyed this book, but his personality is I hate daddy and daddy hates me. <laughs> and that's and that's not usually the what a Julia Quinn book is. There's usually more mm-hmm. to a character than just their circumstance. Right. And we see that with Hyacinth. She's such a fully fleshed out character now given we've we've seen her in a lot of books before this so it's easier to feel like you know somebody when you've read almost the whole series mm-hmm. so gareth was at a disadvantage in that way but still there just was no spark for me with him i never felt like i'm glad hyacinth found somebody that she could love so he's great for that purpose but he never really stuck out to me i agree and i don't know if it's a sort of thing too where it's like because Hyacinth is such a giant, big personality and character that you almost need somebody who is a little bit calmer because I think if it's two Hyacinth, it would, like, two people with her personality, it would just be, like, insane and very difficult to read. And so, yeah, I mean, Gareth's character traits are basically, yeah, that he hates his dad and that he's, like, fundamentally a very good person and that he also recognizes... Hyacinth. I was listening to Womance yesterday and sort of they talked about like the central thing that you want in a hero is for the hero to actually see the heroine, not like just physically, but to really see who they are. And I think that is the thing about Gareth that uh, endears me to him is basically that he sees Hyacinth for who she is. Um away from sort of like the brash or the a little bit like caustic exterior, 
you know, he sees that she's very sensitive. He sees that she's very, um, you know, has this big bravado because she's she's really trying to cover up a pretty soft center um, and how, you know, deeply she feels the loss of her father and, you know, all of all of those things. So I I love him for that. But you're right. Like Gareth on his own is not like particularly dynamic. But yeah, Gareth, you know, but again, it didn't really ruin the reading experience. But, you know, you prefer to love both of the protagonists equally. Well, and I think that also talks to sort of like Julia's talent, too, is that like a book that is like, you know, with an okay hero where not a ton happens. We're supposed to really care about her finding this diamond necklace. That Uh, was basically. That was such a non-starter, though. I was really disappointed yeah. with how little that actually played into played into the plot. And then I didn't read the second epilogue, but I sure as shit read the first epilogue, <laughs> and I was angry. You were? Oh, I loved it. I was angry at Isabella, who is, spoiler alert, their daughter. Because the epilogue takes place years after this book, and we'll we'll get to that when we get to that. Let's talk to that talk about that at the very end. But we seem to have split on how we feel about it. Hmm. Yeah. Um. But we can talk about yeah, Danbury. So, uh I mean, Danbury is the real star. And I think that's the thing, too. It's like between Danbury and Hyacinth, it's like Gareth really didn't have a chance. No, he didn't. I love Lady Danbury. Yes, she is so fun. She is a firecracker. There's a Mm -hmm. point towards the end where she leaves a room hoping that Gareth's going to compromise Hyacinth. Because he says, well, she wouldn't have closed the door the whole way if she didn't expect me to compromise you. (laughs) Which I was like, good for Lady Danbury. She wants, yeah, she wants them to be, like, two people she loves. She wants them to be together. Um, I do love you learn more about her. And you learn more, like, that she's, like, a very, like, she's a romantic. And she sort of loves these really fanciful stories and things like that. It's just... Yeah, I I love Lady Danbury so much. And I know that Julia Quinn has said she won't give Danbury a story because um, she's like, well, I've already said that her first husband was, you know, not like she didn't like him. But I'm like, give her one now. I would love to see like a love story of two, however old she is, like 70s or 80s or something. Like, have her just fall in love now. Yeah, that's, you know? I think that'd be unique and, and, and interesting. And who could handle Danbury? That would be, who is who is this man that could handle her? I know. I mean, that would be the fantastic thing. She's so stuck in her ways, and then if she meets some met somebody who really, you know, brought her to her knees, it would be so fantastic to read. Then we get a little bit more Gregory, who yeah. didn't ingratiate himself to me. <laughs> no, by just teasing his sister, even though they're both in their like early twenties. Yeah, it was. He was. He's weirdly juvenile. So I'm. I'm very, mm-hmm. very much hoping that um, his whoever he finds in the next book really can help him mature, or at least take him down a notch, or I don't know. 
Yeah, it's so funny, like, the way that these romance novels always work with ages, because, you know, Hyacinth is 22, and I think Gareth is supposed to be 28? Yes. They say his age. Um, And so it's just, like, assumed that Hyacinth should be getting married right now. She's 22, but Gregory is 24, and they're like, oh, my God, no. Who would ever want to bury him? He's way too young. And I'm like, you're all too young. <laughs> Like, this is ridiculous. But it is it is funny that, like, in these books, especially these books that are set in, like, Regency times, it's always a 19-year-old and a 30-year-old. Where anywhere in real life, if I, when I was 30, if somebody had come to me and told me they were dating a 19-year-old, I'd be like, that's uh, disgusting. <laughs> what do you talk about? You know? So let's talk about this fancy hunt for a second for these jewels which what why do you call it a fancy hunt is that a real thing that's what she says in the book oh she calls it a fancy hunt i I believe i wrote it down what she calls it oh i didn't know if that was a pittsburgh thing no no it's not like it's not like having um fries and coleslaw on your sandwich (laughs) which is a pittsburgh thing she calls it a fancy hunt. Yeah. So what happens is his grandmother in her journals alludes to having hid diamonds somewhere. And they go, these are these are some of the best scenes in the book where they go and sneak into his old house or her old mm-hmm. house, which is going to be his house eventually when he gets it, and look for these jewels and and originally when they first go in there they find like a secret compartment and they find a note and the note is in italian and what it says is it gives another clue that it's in a book and so they sneak they sneak into this house the same way so many times there's that broken latch on the window on the second floor and so it's just They'll cut to, oh, they're back in the house because, of course, they just climbed up and got in. And she's dressed in her all-black men's clothes, which weirdly was very hot. (laughs) Because the way she's described in this is that it's really, those clothes are very skin tight and they're hugging her very nicely. And even Gareth is like, this is making me crazy. So I really was very excited every time she got into her all-black costume. And they would always go in and look for different stuff. They find a note in a book that is not in Italian. They think it might be a Slavic language. And so she takes the note to Colin because Colin has done a lot of traveling to see what it says. But the thing is, that's fun that they go in, and it's fun that they're they're following these clues. But there's really only two slips of paper in her journal, and it never, it just doesn't seem like a full on quest or a full on mystery enough that is satisfying. Even though I'm not a big mystery guy, which is weird. I just felt like you introduced this and then they don't, she doesn't go the whole way with it. 
Well, I feel like the mystery, it's it's more of a, like, what's a way that we can get them together a bunch of times so that they have to keep seeing each other. And it's not necessarily, like, where are these jewels? Because ultimately it becomes her just sort of, like, looking for the jewels in the house, like, whenever she has time, just kind of for fun. And it's more of, like, you know, Hyacinth being an extremely intelligent person and just needing constant stimulation or she'll go insane. And so this gives her a way to do that. Um, But it isn't like anything more than that. I mean, I like for that purpose, I liked it. I liked that it wasn't anything more serious than finding a diamond necklace. They are both you know, Hyacinth is very, comes from a very wealthy family, has a big dowry. So uh, there was never any threat of like, if they don't find these diamonds, they're going to lose everything. Um, you know, the diamonds were so, were more of a symbol than anything. And it, it never meant anything more than that um, as, as far as their value goes. So, yeah, I mean, it was a fun thing to do, I think, in a book where there wasn't a lot else going on other than like people falling in love, which I love. And how how amazing it is, how much space is just somebody thinking or just a conversation. Um, and it remains so readable because there was never a moment in this book where I was bored or confused or, you know, not enjoying myself. So, you know, that's something. But yeah, the, the diamond necklace, it was sort of a, I don't know, what do they call that? Um, not a red herring. No, in like movies when they have to get something, but it doesn't matter what the thing is. Is that a MacGuffin? MacGuffin, yeah, it's a MacGuffin. Yeah. So it was like the diamond necklace was kind of a MacGuffin. It didn't really matter. Yeah. I mean, I will say it was an opportunity, like you said, for them to be together and to have to hide in a closet, which is always great. Mm-hmm. When you get hide two... Hide the, the What was really awesome was that kind of stuff but also when they're together when they're together at the musicals which we get another we get a running joke about the Smythe Smith or it might just be Smith Smith I always said Smythe Smith but I think it's Smythe but I'm always confused because there is a singer called Patty Pat, well, she spells her last name like that, like Smythe, but she she says it's Patty Smith. So yeah, and I'm she a- really should say Patty Smythe because there's already a Patty Smith. Well, that's the thing that's so confusing. So yeah, I, but I I'm always like, well, okay, so it should be Smythe. But anyway, so <laughs> I think it's Smith Smith. Whatever you know, at this point, we're gonna get emails no matter what. So anyway. Uh, they are famously horrible and they famously just destroy whatever, you know, composer that they're playing. And I love Mm. that it's, it's a shared bond shitting on these, on, on these concerts that they have to go to, which is really funny. And then there's an added element of they go to see a play that's, that's been written uh, by some debutante or something. And it's so horrible as well. So I just love that they get to just sit and, and crap on performances, which is such a way to bond with somebody that you're falling in love with. Like either mm-hmm. going to a movie or 
just any sort of going to one of your friends open mic nights uh going to an improv show anything like that is just prime prime real estate for shitting on other people trying (laughs) (laughs) but that is such a great way to bond but it is really funny that you know lady danbury always goes to the smite smith musical to sit in the front row because she you get the sense that Lady Danbury was like a bit of a wallflower, a bit of an outcast when she was younger. And so she does that to sort of support them. And then she makes Gareth and Hyacinth sit in the front row as well to, yeah, you know, offer that support. And it's nice because as like grumpy as they can be or you see that they're like inherently very kind people and that they want to support these people who have absolutely no musical talent. Um, You know, and so I... Yeah, I love that too. Sort of anytime that it, they were stuck together in that way where it was very obvious that both of their families really wanted the match, which I found was interesting too because so many of these is like hiding a match from somebody or something. But this was like, no, everyone was like, yeah, this seems great. Let's do it. And they were just constantly trying to leave them together so that they would compromise each other. Yes. And Anthony, when... Oh, when, that's such a good scene. When Gareth goes to Anthony to say, I want to ask your your sister to marry me, his relief, where he's, <laughs> I'm free. He's like, have a drink. Here, Gareth, have a drink. I'm so excited. I'm free. I'm free. And and then he was like, well, if you hurt her, I'll kill you, that kind of thing. But <laughs> And Gareth's is... Gareth's thinking, this guy's nuts. This guy is absolutely crazy. But it was such a fun scene because, yeah, you're right. The fact that they didn't have obstacles was interesting, but it was part of the book because they everybody wanted Hyacinth to get married off. Mm-hmm. Every single person. So any opportunity to get her to be with Gareth was was a good one. And that is a different different thing than what we've seen. No, nobody's really trying to keep them apart. Even the father, even his father, as big of a jerk as he was, said, good luck. If you can get her, I don't think you can, but if you can get her, that's great, but you won't. And so even he does not is not upset if they get together. He just doesn't think that it's going to happen. He just doesn't have any faith, but he's like, eh, if you can make it happen. Oh, yeah, that scene with Anthony is absolutely fantastic because Anthony has basically had to marry off four sisters and then she's the fourth and the one that he didn't think he could. And I think it's I love, too, that he was like, I can tell that you really do love her. And so I'm happy for this. It's not just anyone because he talks about the six other people who asked and he was like, no, they're all they were going to work. And he seems to know Hyacinth really well. Um, as well. And oh yeah, that moment after he's like celebrating, he's having a great time. He's offering like the good stuff because he hides the good stuff from his brothers. And then he's like, oh yeah, by the way, if you're, if she's not happy, I'm going to skin you alive. But anyway, (laughs) that's not going to be an issue. Um, I think it's so sweet. I wish that had, when she went to get the thing translated, like, we actually got to see her talking to Colin. Because I think anytime any of them come back, it's always really fun. But, you know. We saw Penelope for a hot second. Yeah. Penelope was great. Hanging with, with Lady D. Um, well, let's talk about Isabella, 
the younger finding the jewels. So I loved it. You didn't. Okay, so I love that we were going to get some sort of closure for the jewels because as the actual book ends, it says she never found the jewels. Well, no, I guess it was the beginning of the epilogue. As the beginning of the epilogue starts, it says she has been searching for the jewels for since she moved into that house. So she'll just look in different places, different places. And Isabel finds a crack in the wall in the bathroom, which is all the way up. I guess it's like, what, the servant bathroom or something like that? Or the, the nursery no, bathroom. That's right. It's the nursery bathroom. Because she says it's the most unglamorous room next to the servant's quarters or whatever. Mm-hmm. So she finds this crack that she apparently thinks is new. That was a weird thing where it hadn't been there before. But I guess maybe it just did open up. It might have. But I also think that you might have just not noticed it. Because it seems to have been like on the floor. You know what I mean? It's like how often do you look at the floor? Well, then she really cracks a bunch of shit. Like she's. I got really upset that she was just breaking these tiles. Because <laughs> was like people are going to see this. But she opens up this she was able to open up this opening and she sticks her little hand in there and there's vel it feels like velvet and she pulls out a bag and it's got jewels in it and her mom is outside yelling for her and she we we listen to her internal struggle which is what should i do should i say something should i show my mom or should i put them back and she puts them back now, I understand why she did that. She did that because she knows her mom is always searching for these and she wants her mom to find them, right? No, I think she doesn't know her mom's searching because she's 10. Okay. So I think she thinks that she did something wrong when she finds them. And so she doesn't know what to do because she cracked the tiles. And I think she's like, do I want to keep this as my secret or not? So she puts them back. And hides them and doesn't tell her mother. Because then you didn't read the second epilogue. No, no, get a don't conclusion spoil me. To that. Okay. So, yeah. So she puts them back to sort of, I think, because she wants it to be, like, private. Um, and she's, you know, I don't know, you're 10. Like, people do weird stuff when they're 10. I had the weirdest collections. Like, I, I followed Isabella's logic exactly for why she didn't tell her mother. I think she's greedy. I think she wants them for herself. <laughs> and I don't like that. Okay. I don't think it's that. I think her mom did all the translating, picked up all those slips of paper off the floor, you know, all the hard work, crawled inside uh, those windows every other night to try and find these jewels. And now this brat is hiding them for herself, having done nothing but been there and squatted on onto a chamber pot. That's all she did to find these jewels. Yeah, but she didn't know her mother was looking for them. It frustrates me. I don't care. I'm I'm team. <laughs> I'm I'm anti Isabella. I think she's gonna grow up wrong. I don't like this. Oh my goodness. I don't like this for her. I I know. Well, this is just feeling like we have to do Bridgerton's Ever After, which is all the second epilogues. Well, you read the second epilogue. I did. Does it does it shed light onto this? Yes. Okay. So the, the so anybody who's read this book other than me is going to say, "Dummy, it's in the second epilogue." Yes. Do they? It, ex- does she explain why she did it? 
Yes. Okay, so then there's no mystery. You know why she did it. <laughs> I know, but I don't want to tell you. Well, how about, well, I'm going to edit this, so I was going to say, I was going to say, I'll, I'll plug my ears and you say it, but I edit this podcast. <laughs> there's no way. Well, let's see. Well, I, I think what we'll do, I think we're going to probably do like a wrap-up episode on the Bridgertons. Um, I think where we talk about the books that are uh, at a whole, and we'll talk about our, you know, favorites and rank people and stuff. Um, so maybe then you will have read every book, and then you can read the epilogues. Yeah, or I'll, quick. I'll read. Uh, I'll read happily ever after or Bridgerton's ever after. Yeah, just to get them all in one, in one place. Yeah, and then I don't know that we'll talk – well, this is just, like, this is, like, business planning, so this is not interesting for the podcast. But, like, I don't think we need to go through them beat by beat, but I think if general, if you read them all and then we can sort of talk about feelings. Yeah, it gives me, gives me more knowledge. Although I do think probably at this point I could have read this second epilogue because we are at the eighth – we're coming on the eighth book, so what really could be spoiled for me? Yes, and I will say this epilogue doesn't feature anyone other than the family. Okay. Other than Gareth, Hyacinth, and Isabella. Okay. Well, so I should have read it. But, yeah, you know, so you don't learn about anyone else. I ha- I had a strict rule as to not read these second epilogues after I got burnt in the second book reading the second epilogue. I know. Yeah. And once I get I mean, burnt, you- it's very hard for me to trust again. Oh. How how like a hero of you. I know. Here's the big question. Would you fuck them? Yes, and yes. I think the thing with Gareth is, like, he is so horny for Hyacinth and, like, so obsessed with her um, sexually. Well, we didn't talk about the other kind of, like, dubious thing that happens, which is Gareth knows that he is not illegitimate, but his father isn't his real father, and he's worried about if the Bridgertons find out, they won't let Hyacinth marry him. So he decides to go and seduce Hyacinth, and he does. And they have sex, and he's, like, compromised her. I don't love that. And I think it's like, obviously, he loves her. He was going to marry her anyway. But it's it's sort of is taking a little bit of her decision making away from her because, you know, she thinks he's just doing it out of pure, like, lust. And that's how she feels, too. But actually, there's this, like, weird ulterior motive. I just didn't love it. I just, I felt a little weird about it. I mean, not that it was any sort of anything more than that but it just I wanted there to be a moment where he told her that that's what he did or he uh I don't know or there was like more of a discussion about it but there wasn't yeah it was very much a mercenary um decision Mm -hmm. by him because it was securing his future in a way that I think was kind of distasteful especially because otherwise, he seemed to actually really love her. And he does love her. This doesn't mean he doesn't love her. But he seemed to be looking out for his future prospects in a, in a way that I wasn't so happy about. Yeah. I do love that Hyacinth, every time after she has sex, she just gets like a bolt of energy. And she's like, let's go. Yeah, he <laughs> wants to hang other... out and sleep. And she's like, let's go, let's go, let's do something. <laughs> he thought she'd be sore and not able to walk. No, but she was just like, she just got like a jolt of energy and she was like ready to zip zap through the night. I, yeah, I love that too. I I thought that that was always so funny and clever. And then there, so many sex oh, scenes end with them just falling asleep in each other's arms. And instead she was like, no, let's go hunt these jewels. Yeah. 
the uh, their first kiss was interesting too because he really mashes mouths with her, and he says, "Kiss me back," and she's she's thinking, "What does he mean, kiss me back?" She later after they kiss, she enjoyed it, but she was upset that he thought she didn't know how to kiss and and was questioning her as they were kissing, which she didn't. She's never kissed anybody before, but that was a little bit of a of a rude moment by Gareth as well. Yeah. But I do think it's funny that it's like a, a character trait of Hyacinth is that she just wants to be excellent at everything immediately. And so she's not good at kissing immediately. And it's really, really hard for her. Yeah. You know, which I think is really cute. Um, all right. Anyway, but would I fuck them? Yes, yes. Of course. Yeah. Gareth, no. Hyacinth, 100% yes. Mm-hmm. But she'd have to wear her cat burglar outfit. Oh, yes. You saw Ladies in Pants, and you would be all in. It's huge. It's so funny having read so many historicals, and when ladies get into pants, it's so erotic, yet I see women in pants every day. <laughs> you do, and it's nothing. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, that's not, it's not special in that way that it is when I read these books. Yeah. When, when a woman's dressed like a footman, I'm like, oh, jeez, come on, give me, give me more <laughs> of that. Sophie and uh, the Rogue Not Taken. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to have to uh, explain my footman fantasies to the woman I marry, which is going to be very <laughs> difficult. I guess I'll just be like, listen to the podcast. What do you want me to say? Yeah, you're going to be like, hey, babe, how about today you wear pants? And you're going to be like, literally, <laughs> that's all I wear. <laughs> yeah, I was like, enough, none of this lingerie bullshit. Yeah. Do you have any trousers? Um, all right. Should we do Goodreads list? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Favorite historical romance novels? Yes. Best rogue rake romance books? Yeah, you know, he so. is because he gets down with a lot of chicks. Oh, yeah. I guess that is right. Yeah. And he is supposed to be, like, insanely handsome. I think that's also why I liked him because everyone talked about how he's, like, stunningly handsome in a way that, like, no one can deny which I liked. Um, best humorous historical romances. Yeah, this one was funny. Best historical romances where the quiet, unusual girl gets the guy. I'm going to freak out at this person. <laughs> I want to know who this person is. If you are this person, show yourself. <laughs> I disagree. Take it off Well, the she list. is unusual, though. Like, her best friend is a grandmother, which Why? I love. I love an intergenerational friendship, but it's not normal. But this is not quiet or unusual. It is quiet, oh. unusual. So, therefore, take it off the friggin' list. And I'm <laughs> telling you, here's what I'm going to say. If by the time we record the eighth book... If somebody hasn't taken the eighth book off of this infernal list, I'm going to freak out. I could find out right now if it's on it, but that would spoil the fun. So I'm not going to. Don't do it. But I want one of our fans. So can, I don't know how Goodreads work. Whoever made this list is the only person who can take it off the list, right? No. Oh, I don't know about taking off, but I think if it's a public list, like anyone can add to the list, I believe. But they can't delete, right? That wouldn't be fair. You couldn't just go in and delete somebody's, whoever put this on the list. I don't know. But yeah, I agree. That doesn't seem right. I'm making a call out to the person who made this list to take these Bridgertons off of the list. 
take the Bridgertons off this list because well, other than Penelope. Yeah, I guess Penelope. Penelope is the only one that deserves on it. So okay, so other than the fourth book, right, which is Penelope's mm-hmm. book, all mm-hmm. the other Bridgertons should be off this list by next Tuesday. <laughs> it's an ultimatum, and I don't like to make ultimatums, but I'm but making. But what an happens ultimatum. if you don't? How is it an ultimatum if you have no power over this person? Other than you'll be angry. Yeah, and you don't want to see me when I'm angry. <laughs> Witty historical romance books. Yes. Illegitimate heroes and heroines. He's not illegitimate, but yes. The spirit. Again, it's Mm -hmm. the spirit of the list. It doesn't have to be 100%. And that's what I'm saying. It doesn't have to be 100% accurate if the spirit is there. So yes, it can stay. (laughs) Books with close siblings. Of course, it's Bridgerton. See, that's a list that the Bridgerton book should all be on. Uh, brainy genius romantic heroines. She's brainy. And she's yeah. Not bra- yeah. Yeah. I guess. I mean, she's very smart. That's the um, thing. Is she ro- doesn't. The good thing is she doesn't come off as annoying and touting how smart she is by doing math problems in her head, like a lot of people write these smart heroines. She mm-hmm. just is able to figure out Italian. She's able to do these different things that are not brainy in the general sense, but she's very ingenious and she's very adaptable to what she needs to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, girls disguised as boys. Oh, big time. Your favorite. Mm-hmm. So you love a, a bad boy or tortured hero. I would not say he was a bad boy or tortured. Now, I mean, he's a rake, so the assumption is he's a bad boy, but we really don't see much of that. So mm-hmm. I think he has a reputation. I, I think if you're coming to this book looking for a real bad boy, you're not going to find it. No. Best lighthearted romance. This one was very lighthearted, other than mm-hmm. the father hating his son. That was played for so many laughs because a Gareth... Mm-hmm would throw back at him just to make him mad. And then by the end, Gareth was laughing at his dad because he realized that he has no hold over him. He doesn't care what he thinks of him anymore. Mm -hmm. So that was, it was pretty lighthearted. Yeah, I would say like as dark as romance novels get, this one doesn't. And I think if somebody was like, oh, do you have a book to suggest that's just like kind of lighthearted and and fun and not going to, no darkness, I would, I would, be okay recommending this book because yeah like you said even though the dad is like a bad dad it's not like in a menace it's not like in a menacing scary way it's more of like this guy's just kind of like a dick mm-hmm. anyway those are the lists wow great list as always yes um all right clayton so what are your tropes my tropes are bad dad in capital letters mm-hmm Secret diaries, trapped in a closet or canoodling in a closet, (laughs) fancy hunt slash scavenger hunt, burglary, attempted burglary, I guess, because they never really burgle anything except for she does take a book from the library, hidden diamonds, uncle father, because we find out that (laughs) Gareth's uncle is actually his father so he is blood related to danbury which is nice to know 
Well, he was always blood related to Danbury. Oh, he's, he's blood... blood related to Isabella. That's right. I'm sorry. He's blood related. He's blood. Gosh, he's blood related <laughs> to Isabella. So that's good. Big family, small family for him. Mm-hmm. And compromised because she is compromised. Yeah. Erin, what are your tropes? Well, I didn't have a chance to write them down, but here's off the top of my head. I have um, unusual heroin, <laughs> um, compromised, um, big families, good moms, good grandmothers, making out at a ball, all good things. Yeah. Bad dancing. All right, Clayton, what has you swooning this week? Well, Aaron, I am swooning about a movie that is on Hulu that me and producer Patty watched over Thanksgiving called Run. Now, this is a movie that was supposed to be in theaters. Of course, we all know that COVID has changed plans for a lot of movies. It's changed Mm -hmm. plans for a lot of things in general. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give much away about this movie because it's a thriller that I think does such a good job of keeping you on the edge of your seat. Also, the main character is played at her highest intelligence, which I think is such a rarity in most movies, but also in thrillers. Her and the rest of the characters make decisions that you could see somebody actually making, which mm-hmm. and it's not just decisions that further the plot. So I was really impressed by this movie. I will say it's not scary. It's just thrilling. And if you have any interest in it, I would say watch it. But don't look up what it's about because you'll lose some of the fun. Watch Run on Hulu. You won't regret it. I'm looking forward to it. That happened after I went to bed. So I missed Run. But And we've been talking about it a lot. We've been touting it. So... Yeah, definitely you should watch it, Aaron. I, I'd be surprised, not surprised, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. So, Aaron, what has you swooning? So, um, it's a book that is coming out soon, but isn't out yet. I ended up getting an advanced copy of Courting Trouble by Kerrigan Byrne. It's like a novella. Um, I love it. It is... Uh, poor hero, rich heroine, which you know is my favorite trope. It's like childhood sweethearts who are separated. Love it. Um, you know, I'm a huge Kerrigan Byrne fan uh, in general, and this book was just really like hit everything for me, um, and I and I absolutely loved it. So pre-order Courting Trouble, you know, wherever you pre-order your books, and uh, and you won't regret it. So I had a, a great time. I read that for like two nights as a break from reading Bridgerton's. <laughs> Like, that's the funny thing about hosting a romance novel podcast is that you still read romance novels as a means of procrastination, but then you just don't read the one you're supposed to be reading and you just read a different one. Absolutely. (laughs) So it's, yeah, but I really enjoyed it a lot. And um, I don't always sort of shout out other romances that I read, but I thought this one was like really, really well done and and super fun and super, uh, a super quick read and very, very sexy. Great. Can we do a really quick joint swoon? And I think you're going to know where I'm going with this. Maybe okay. you're not. <laughs> I don't. Season two, I need Virgin more. River. 
Oh my God, yes. I mean, always swooning about a permanent swoon for Virgin River. So this dropped over Thanksgiving and Mm -hmm. we were all over this. Me, producer (laughs) Patty, Aaron, we binged these suckers. And I'm just going to say, keep an eye on your feeds. Yeah. Because you might get a little Virgin River content coming up soon. Very, very (laughs) soon. So if you haven't watched it, then you need to. You need to watch the first season. You need to watch the second season. And then you'll have a lot of content to listen to is all I'm saying. We tried our hardest to like space it out. And we finished the entire season in under uh, 48 hours. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Watch Virgin River, of course. On Netflix. On Netflix. So, Aaron, where can they find us? Um, so you could always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. And then we are on Twitter at Learning Tropes. We are on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. And then we are on Facebook. We have the Facebook uh, Learning the Tropes Troop um, that you can come join, chat about the books, chat about romance in general, chat about, you know, anything that's going on. Um, we have our merch that is uh, linked in show notes. If you want to grab a T-shirt or sticker or something for Christmas, it's coming up. Um, next week, we are reading the eighth Bridgerton book on the way to the wedding by Julia Quinn um it is Gregory's book so um we have to see how this all ends so definitely you know read that if you haven't already learning the tropes is part of the frolic podcast network find what podcasts you love at frolic.media backslash podcast all right bye guys bye